uh, stand together in honor of God's word. Yesterday, we had over 200 women here, and I had the privilege of being with them. It was... There is an army of women in this church. Absolutely amazing day. Whoa, okay. We are Romans chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. This is a little intense. Do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience? not realizing that God's kindness leads you toward repentance, but because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. Please pray for me as I share on this text. Lord, we... uh, We accept your word. We ask that all of the haziness and confusion around the gospel that the enemy tries to stir up, that makes it just kind of hard to exactly know how to respond to this and what exactly, how am I supposed to do this? Lord, I pray all of that would be gone today. That what the gospel is would be very clear to every heart that how to respond in a way that pleases you and saves us would be very, very clear. Lord, help us today to see you, to hear from you, and to respond to you. God, we ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. So we are going through the four values of City Church. Last week was come as you are. Today is called Connect with God. Connect with God. And I have four points today. Number one, two reasons to connect with God. The first reason to connect with God is His kindness. That His kindness, His tolerance... His patience, his his overwhelming loving kindness is all meant to draw us to connect with him. It's, It's meant to lead us toward repentance. The Bible encourages us to taste and see that the Lord is good. God is Good. He is all good. When when Moses said, show me your glory, he said, I'm going to hide you in the cleft of the rock and I'm going to let all of my goodness pass before you. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. God is good and he has good plans for you and for me. Here is what Luke 15 says says about him. Jesus is describing in the story of the prodigal son how God feels about people. It says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. 
And, and he said this, quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf, kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. Even when we are far from God doing our own thing, he is watching for us, not so that he can judge us, but he's, he's waiting for us to come home. There is no one more gentle, more kind, and more generous in the entire universe than our God. One of the first verses that I memorized as a Christian was Psalm 8411. God is a son and a shield. He withholds no good thing from those that walk uprightly. God is a giver, not a restrictor. And the reason why this truth is so important is the devil is a liar. And he lies. He lied to Adam and Eve. He casts a, 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 a smear on the character of God and makes it like God's holding out and God doesn't, God knows the day you eat, you know, you're going to be like him and he's trying to prevent that. And so God is kind of this killjoy. Let me, let me, let me make this very clear. God is the author of joy. In fact, in his presence is fullness of joy joy. God is a giver, not a restrictor. And his heart for every single one of us is good. His kindness leads us to repentance. That's one reason to connect with God. There's a second reason, and that is his severity. Paul tells us, in Romans eleven twenty two, that we are to behold, keep before our eyes both the kindness and the severity of God. What does this What does this mean? Well, when we hear the word severe, we we hear inordinately harsh. Severe is like over the top, harder than it had to be. Is this really what God's like? Paul assures us. In Romans 2, 4 here, that, that God's judgment is righteous. God can't be overly severe. God is exactly righteous. However, to us, to human beings, it will seem severe because God is way, 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 way more holy than we think he is. We can't conceive of how holy he is. And on top of that, we are way more sinful than we think we are. We think God's here and we're here and, you know, yep, we're not perfect. Nobody's perfect. And this is about how big that gap is and that maybe if I was good enough or religious enough that I could somehow connect with, with God. No, that, that's absolutely not the picture that the Bible gives us. The Bible has God uh, up near the moon and us way, way down. And there is this gap that no human being could possibly bridge by doing any good religious thing. That's why Jesus came. That's why he died on the cross. It does not say that God's storing up wrath for you. It says that you're storing up wrath for yourself. When instead of 
repenting, we stay in stubbornness and in willfulness and continue to go in our own way, God's not storing up wrath for us. We're storing it up for ourselves for the day of judgment. Rome, uh, Hebrews chapter 10. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? Those that died under the Old Testament law those that rejected the law of Moses, those that, that, that thumbed their nose at God and said, I'm going to live my own way, I'm going to do my own thing, and I'm going to disregard the law, it says that they died without mercy. Two or three, there had to be two or three witnesses that, that saw it and said, yep, yep, disobeyed the law. In fact, is, those were the people that started the stoning. And, and they died without mercy. And then the argument is made, how much more severe will the judgment be who those, for those who have said to God, I will continue doing my own thing, I will continue going my own way, and I will reject the work that you have done on my behalf at the judgment seat of Christ, because the Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die and after that the judgment. It doesn't matter whether you're a believer or unbeliever or what you believe about anything. You've got a day called the judgment day. And I'm, I'm begging you to trust me on this. You do not want to be in a place on the judgment day where you receive no mercy. You don't want, you don't want to receive no mercy. There are three witnesses against you in that day. None of them are human witnesses. Human witnesses could be flawed. Human witnesses could lie. But there will be three witnesses against you that day. And, and they're listed right here. One is the Son of God who loved you. Second is the blood of Jesus that was shed for you, that blood that was meant to sanctify you, meant to set you apart for God, meant to give you a relationship with God, that blood will testify against you. And the third witness is the Holy Spirit. It says, because you have insulted the Spirit of grace. The Holy Spirit invites everybody. Every human being is invited by the work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was lifted up, and now the Father's drawing all people by the Spirit. He's going, he's searching the highways and the byways, and he's drawing people to Christ, and he's offering them God's love and God's salvation. And when you say no, when you say no, I'm gonna stubbornly continue going my own way and doing my own thing, the Bible says you have insulted the spirit of grace. 
and you will receive no mercy. And the Bible says it's not the first death. The lake of fire is called the second death. And in the lake of fire, it will, it will seem very, very severe. You will, you will, apart from Christ, pay for your own sins. Every sin against mankind, everything that was wrong, everything that you should have done that was right, sins of omission and commission, you pay, we pay for that with conscious torment. And for our rejection of God, are ultimately consumed, it says, consumed by the fire with the enemies of God. God is your friend. The only way you become an enemy of God is if you make yourself his enemy. So there you have it. The love of God is a reason to connect and the fear of God is a reason to connect. What is being addressed here is an attitude toward the gospel that believers can have. They can twist, twist the gospel to say this. The gospel means that I have a right to go on sinning and God has to forgive me. God has to forgive me because God is love and Jesus died for me and therefore I have a right to keep sinning and to just keep doing my own thing and God has to forgive me. And I'm, I'm telling you, I'm warning you as a friend, that is not the gospel. That is not the gospel. Why don't we move on to point two? <laughs> Praise God. Point two is how do we connect with God? There are two things necessary to, to connect with God. One is, one is repent and one is receive. Let's do repent first. John the Baptist said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Then Jesus started his ministry and he said these words, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repentance is necessary to enter into the kingdom of God. Repentance is turning around. It's, it's changing your mind. It's going in a different way that you were going. And here's what Jesus assures his own disciples. His, his disciples are having a little conversation among themselves because there's been a tragedy in that day. Uh, an earthquake has caused a tower to fall. And, it, and 18 people have died in this earthquake because this tower fell on them. And the disciples are having this conversation about how bad these people must be that died in this earthquake. You know, wow, God judged them. They must be really bad people. And Jesus looks at the cream of the crop and he says, listen, guys, you think, do you really think that they were worse sinners than you are? Uh-uh. But unless you repent, you will likewise perish. It doesn't matter what we believe about the love of God. It doesn't matter what we believe about the goodness of God and what we believe about the grace of God. If we don't repent, we will perish. This is not an option. So it's really important for us to know what repentance is. 
Let's, let's define repentance from the prodigal son, the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal leaves and he says to his father, give me my inheritance. Give me, give me what I want. Give me my gifts, my personality, my resources. I want to go have fun. I want to use it for me. I want to use it for my name. I want to use it for my, whatever I want to do. I am tired of the constraints of home. And I'm going and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what I want to do. The center of sin is simply this. Give me. Give me. Give me what I want. Give me my life. I resent anybody that is saying that, that they have any say in my life. I'm going to do my own thing, my own way. I did it my way. Famous words of Frank Sinatra. I don't know that we want that to mark our lives. In the give me mentality, we use God or seek to use God for our own and at the end of the day, it's not about God, it's about me. So repentance, what does it mean to repent? Well, the prodigal, the Bible says that he came to his senses. He remembered the goodness of God. He realized how much he had sinned against heaven and against his father. And he said these words. I'm going to return home and I'm going to say these words. Make me. Make me whatever you want me to be. Make me, he says, as one of your hired men. From give me what I want, from using God to make me what you want, I am willing to be a servant of God. That's repentance. That's what God's waiting to hear from his human beings, is to come to the place where we Repent of the give me's and say, Father, make me what you want me to be. That's repent. And here's receive. To, be, to connect with God, we need to receive the salvation offered in Christ. Here's John 1, 11 through 13. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. And the reason why I use this text is because when we think of believe, we often think of just like agreeing with facts. Salvation is more than agreeing with facts. The Bible says the demons believe and, and shudder. To be saved, to, to truly believe in Christ, I must receive him as my savior. I must receive a person. Jesus knocks at the door. I must open up. I must say, come in. I must allow him to save me. And then we are born again. We are born of God. God puts his own spirit inside of us. And, and scripture says, it doesn't, this isn't about your parents. This is about what your parents believe. This isn't about, I go to church. This isn't about, oh, I got baptized or I got, I took communion or I did some religious thing or I, I prayed. No, 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 no. You need to receive him. Do not presume that you have received him just because you're around church. I must 
repent and I must receive Christ. We're moving right along. We're on point three now. What happens when we connect with God? Here's the first thing that happens. God, our Father, and all of heaven experience great joy. There are three stories told in Luke 15. The first one is about a shepherd who's got a lost sheep and he's going after this sheep and he's looking for this sheep. And when he finds that sheep, he calls all of his friends because he's so filled with joy. It's, it's, it's clearly not about the sheep's joy. It's about the shepherd's joy in finding his sheep. And there's so much joy and everybody comes together and he, no doubt he tells the story of where it was lost and how it got in prickers and how he rescued it. And there's just great joy. And the Bible says there's more joy in heaven when one sinner repents than 99 just staying in the flock. And then he tells the story of a woman who's got 10 coins. Each one of those coins is precious to her. Each one is valuable to her. And one is lost. She doesn't say to herself, well, praise God, I've still got nine. She is desperate because every single one of those coins is of great value to her. And she searches, and she looks high, and she looks low, and she looks under the bed, and she looks under the radiator, and she looks everywhere. And then she finds that coin, and she's so excited. The, the nature of joy is you want to share it, isn't it? She calls her friends again, has a party. We've got to celebrate. I found the precious coin that I lost. Clearly not about the coin's joy. It's about the woman's joy. And the last story is the story of the prodigal son and his return is not about his joy. Jesus is trying to explain how God feels about humanity. When he sees him coming, he runs. This breaks every tradition of dignity of a father in that day. When you ran with sandals, it caused dirt and it was, a, it was a mess. Men did not run in that culture, especially not dignified men. And all dignity is thrown out. He runs and he puts his arms around him and he kisses him and, and he says, kill the fattened calf. This is during a famine. Kill the fattened calf. We've got to have a party. My heart is filled with joy. You cannot imagine how much joy you bring the Father. We, we don't have any idea how emotional our God is and how excited he is over even me when I come home to him. The first thing that happens when we connect with God is God experiences joy. The second thing that happens is we are forgiven robed, sandaled, and given all the authority of a child of God. This is, uh, this is difficult. This is really difficult for us. Prodigal, when he's on his way home, he has said to himself, 
I'm, I'm a sinner. I've blown it. I've, I've, I've violated heaven. But my father is very good and he's wealthy. And so I'm going to say, make me as one of your hired men. That's, that's all I could see myself deserving. A hired man lived on subsistent wages and did not live with the father, lived somewhere else. I can't be a son anymore. When he comes home, the father's got a different plan than he had. He kisses him. He hugs him. He says, go get the best robe. That's his own robe. Get sandals on his feet. People that were barefoot in that culture, that's how you shamed people. By make, making, if you, if you captured an army, you'd make everybody walk barefoot to shame them. He wants to remove shame. The ring on the finger is, is a restoration to sonship. It, this is how you paid for stuff in that day. All of the wealth of the household has been restored. He, you, you, you used your ring and had the family seal on it. and, and st- You didn't p- have to pay cash. You just put the family seal. And then all of the resources of that family was behind it. And he welcomed him back because that's what the father wanted to make him. It's funny, when the prodigal comes back, he just says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But he doesn't add that sentence, make me as one of your hired men, because he knows I had the wrong idea. I had the wrong idea about how he felt, about what he wanted. So here's what happened. As I'm working on that this week, I'm thinking of this precious family in, uh, in Montevideo, Minnesota. When we were there, near the beginning of our ministry there, there was a, a family there that decided... They had three kids of their own, but they decided to adopt three more kids from from Guatemala. And they went through a long process, paid a huge price to adopt these three children. And they came in and they came in about, it was like four-year-old, a seven-year-old, and an eight-year-old. And and, and he's a businessman, very successful businessman. They had just this beautiful home. And so these, these children went from intense poverty to this place of security that was just beautiful. But the problem was um, they just, they couldn't grab a hold of that. And what I was thinking of was, I, I just remembered when they first got there, they would always hide food. They, they would always hide food because they were afraid there wasn't going to be enough. And so they were always hiding food. And when mom and dad would say, why are you hiding food? They would lie. Everything was self-protection. It was all fear-based. Even though they've been fully adopted, they're fully in this place of abundance and provision, they can't get this out of their spirit. They can't, they were orphans and they still are operating as if they are orphans. And I was thinking about that this week and I decided to call them. So I got their number, the the husband's name is Kevin and the woman's name is Tammy. They gave me permission to share the story. And I, I got to talk to Tammy and I said, Tammy, um, how long, how long did they hide food for? And she said, two years. Two years. 
It was hard. It's hard to grasp. It's hard to grasp when you've lived out there and you've lived in famine and poverty and you're longing to even eat what the pigs are eating. It's hard to get into a different mindset. And even though you're home, even though you're adopted, even though you're favored, even though there's a ring on your finger, it's just, it's hard to break those patterns. Two years before they could come to the grips with it, there was always going to be plenty to eat. And we don't have to hide food. And we don't have to live protecting ourselves. And I said, I said, okay, that's cool. Tammy, how long do you think it took for, for them to be completely free of that orphan spirit? And there's just this silence on the phone. And she says this. She says, that, that one's a bugger. She said, that, that's a bugger. She said, that orphan spirit, it's very, very hard. And she said, they've come a long way, especially two of them, of knowing who they are in Christ. But I see symptoms still of the orphan spirit. One, she said, uh, always has to be in the middle of attention. She's, a, she's afraid. She's f- afraid that if I'm not in the middle, people aren't seeing me, that I'm not fully accepted. I'm not fully in. And so I need that affirmation all the time. And it's just a, it's just a, a manifestation of that orphan spirit. She said, it's a bugger. Has anybody found that that orphan spirit is a bugger? Even though we're saved, even though we're in, even though Jesus loves us and we're, he calls us favored, he has chosen to make you a favored son and daughter. Well, I don't deserve to be. I'm just a sinner. I didn't say what you thought you should be. This is what, if you're saying, make me what you want, then he gets to make you what he wants. Is that right? Well, this is what he wants to make you. He wants to make you a favored son and a favored daughter. He wants you to live with the best robe on you, his own righteousness. He wants sandals on your feet. He doesn't want you living in shame anymore. He wants you to know it doesn't matter what's going on in this world or the economy. He kills the fattened calf and has a party. There is more than enough. He doesn't want us to live in fear. The ring that he's put on our finger, listen to this, John 16, 23 and 24. Until now, you've asked for nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, so that your joy might be full. Jesus has given his children a ring on their finger called the name of Jesus that can be used in prayer, It can be used to rebuke devils. It can be used wherever you are. You've got all of the resources of heaven are behind that name. Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but what what I have, what we have, we give you in Jesus' name. Rise up and walk. See, here's the thing about having his name. You don't need to have silver and gold. You don't need to have a big bank account. You don't have to have everything all set down here to feel like heaven is behind you. How many know that Jesus didn't have a bunch of Swiss bank accounts? He didn't didn't need to. All of heaven was available to him. 
If we need bread, he can, he can multiply bread. If, we, if, 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 if something's running low, we'll multiply it. It's hard for us to grab a hold of this. Here's why. Because we're called to make our home in God, to come home to our Father. But we're still in an alien land. We're still in a strange place. We're not at home in this world. This world, this whole world's systems and priorities and values are very different than the kingdom of God. Jesus said, you're in hostile territory. They're gonna, they, they hated me, they're gonna hate you. They persecuted me, they're gonna persecute you. They, they're gonna kill me, some of you might die. You are in a hostile land. So Christianity is difficult because you're living in two places. You're living at home in God, and you're living as a stranger and an alien in this land. Jesus said, don't, don't say that I came to bring peace and that I'm just, I just want you to all fit in with everybody. He said, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. I'll set a man against his father, a daughter, against her mother. The values of the kingdom of God are going to confront this world's system. So, Sometimes a promise is more powerful than money in the bank. How does that work? As I was working on this this week, I remembered my niece, Colleen. She decided to take a trip to Europe, she, and she was just so bold about it because it was her and a friend. They were going to travel over Europe. They had graduated from college. I can't even remember if they were done with college, but they just were going to travel all over Europe. And here's how she was going to pay for it. She was going to have a party, a go-to-Europe party, and everybody's invited, and all you need to, don't bring gifts, all you need to do is bring money. And at that, at, that, at that party, we'll all celebrate together this trip and we will open up these envelopes and find out how much money comes in to support her trip to Europe. But that's bold. You gotta give it to her for boldness. Well, everybody wanted to know what Aunt Joyce would give her because Colleen was the favored niece and Aunt Joyce was a woman of means. Who knew how much cash would be in that envelope? And she's opening Aunt Joyce. Everybody wants to see how Aunt Joyce is going to take care of her. And it's stunning because there's no money in the envelope. There's just a little card and it has a promise on it. Here's the promise. This promise allows you twice when you are in Europe from wherever you are, to email or call, and I will give you any amount of money that you need. I will wire it to your account immediately. And I, we, all, we all knew Joyce. That's not a vain promise. She's a woman of means. There's no amount that she couldn't send over there. We know her affection for Colleen. This is, this is solid. This is better than money, this promise. Do you know what Jesus has given you and me? He didn't say twice. <laughs> he said your whole life as often as you need it. I'm making you my favored son, my favored daughter. And the family 
What about my sins? What about this? No, no, that's all been washed away in the blood of Jesus. By my own grace, I've adopted you. You are in the family. Jesus said, I'm not leaving you as orphans. Stop living like orphans. Stop thinking like orphans. You are in the family of God. And you have a right to use that precious name for whatever you need whenever you're in trouble. Because frankly, Europe was a dangerous place for a woman. And this world is a dangerous place. We need, we need to know our identity in Christ. And then thirdly, what happens when we connect with God? We are given the promise of eternal life. John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever, whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. Guys, this life is a vapor. This life is one second. When we get into eternity, we will see it so Clearly, we will say then with Paul, uh, these temporary afflictions and all the difficulty and hostility and problems down here aren't even worthy to be compared to the eternal glory, the weight of eternal glory in Christ that will be ours forever and ever and ever. The trick is to say it now. The trick is to, to see clearly enough to recognize whatever difficult, maybe you're having a bad life. Maybe it's a bad day, maybe it's a bad week, maybe it's a bad life. Don't worry that much about it because it's not about this life, it's about eternity. It's about all eternity. We need to see our lives through the lens of eternity. Let me tell you something about a believer the only hell you're going to experience is the hell that is on this earth right now. Has anybody noticed that hell is around right now on earth? That darkness and lies and slavery and rapes and, and murders and there's all kinds of hell happening right now. Fear and wrath and anger and all kinds of hell is around and hell is available and around and, and there's no way that you can live in this world and not be touched by hell. But God's promise is this is the only hell you'll ever experience for, all, for the rest of eternity. Now here's something even more sobering. There's not just hell here on earth, is there? There's also heaven here on earth. We see many glimpses of heaven. We see God's beauty even in a, in a nature that has been corrupted and is groaning until it gets delivered. We still see God's beauty in nature. We see God's beauty in human beings. The image of God is still available. Even the most broken human being, you can still see remnants of the image of God. There's so much beauty and heaven to see in the kindness of people and the grace of God and, and little babies. You could just see heaven. But you want to know something for those that, have, that reject Christ, those that refuse to turn back? This is the only heaven they'll ever experience. This is it for them. 
This is as good as it will ever get. Sobering. Okay, point four, last point. Sealing our connection with God. Sealing, S-E-A-L-I-N-G. Peter is preaching. This is in Acts 2. And he's telling the, the, this is the very crowd that crucified Christ. And he's telling them that, uh, uh, of what they have done. And they see it and they are convicted by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of grace is convicting their hearts. And they ask this question, what shall we do? And Peter says this, Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent and be baptized. Repentance is between you and God. It's in your heart. It's in an invisible place. Water baptism is you publicly identifying yourself with Jesus Christ. Here's another way to say it. Romans 10, 9 and 10. If we confess Jesus as Lord, Lord means we have already said in our hearts, make me what you want me to be. I'm not Lord anymore. You are Lord. If we confess Jesus as Lord and believe in our hearts, God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. For with the heart... Man believes resulting in righteousness or right standing with God. That's an invisible place. Salvation, this right relationship with God comes from believing in the heart. But then look at the rest of the verse. And with the mouth, he confesses resulting in salvation, sealing salvation. Water baptism is how we seal the deal. Do you know that in, in, I was just talking to a guy this week, in Turkey, which is kind of an Islamic nation, a lot of Islam, they, they don't pay any attention to those that believe privately. In fact, there's no penalty for privately believing in Jesus. What they watch for is who gets baptized. Once you're baptized, you are isolated from your family, you are rejected, you're on the government's I don't know in Turkey, but in communist countries, the government has a list. And you are, your life is very, very hard. Baptism seals that connection. What, why is that? Why would, why would the enemy not come after people that privately believe? Well, here's why. You may not continue to believe. Some people receive the seed of the word of God with joy and they believe for a while and then a time of testing or persecution and they quickly fall away. Others believe and the cares and the worries of this life and the desires of this life and it's the real word of God and they believed it, but it gets choked out. Just give them a little time. If they don't seal it, if they don't go public with it, it's not that big a deal. On February 14th, we're going to have a water baptism here, the whole service. I've got four signups here today for those that 
Maybe you have raised your hand. Maybe you have in your heart, maybe during preaching, you've said, yes, I agree with the gospel. Yes, I, I believe Jesus loves me and died for me and I want forgiveness of sins. On February 14th, you're gonna have a chance to go public, right? Right back here, we've got a baptismal tank and, and that day, people are gonna testify why they wanna get baptized and we dunk them in the tank and, and everybody, everybody claps. It's kinda cool. Here's, here's Mark eight thirty eight. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. We are betrothed right now to Christ. That's what salvation is. It's a betrothal looking forward to the day that the bridegroom comes and the marriage is final. I want you to think of an engagement. The, the bridegroom-to-be comes and he, he, he finds a private place and he gets on his knees and he says, will you marry me? I want to give my whole life to you. I want us to live together. And it is a very private thing. Man, please do not propose on the jumbo-thon at the ball game. It kind of traps her. Does anybody see that? Private, it's a private thing. And when that bride-to-be, that prospective bride, says yes with all my heart, what he does is he slips a ring on her finger. The commitment that they've made to each other is invisible, isn't it? But that ring is a visible sign of that invisible commitment. And usually when the woman has got that engagement ring, she comes out of that room glowing and she just walks into rooms like this. <laughs> and everybody is excited because she's so excited that she's giving her life away to someone else, to live in union with someone else. The reason why I have every head bowed and every eye closed and we raise our hands and we got the lights down, I don't want you to raise your hand because somebody next to you is raising your hand or because this is what everybody else... No, that has not, what other people are doing has nothing to do with you. That's between you. It's between you and God. It is private. It is very important that you don't do the group think thing with salvation. Very important. You need to make your own response to God. But water baptism is when you say, I'm going public for Jesus Christ. He was unashamed of me and of my sins when he died naked on a cross for me and, and suffered all of the abuse of man. He was unashamed to call me his brother, his friend. And I will be unashamed that I have given my life to him. I'll close with this thought. When we said, Father, make me whatever you want. And he said back, I want to make you my favored son and my favored daughter. Do you know that he also said this other thing? Peter said, depart from me. I'm a wicked man. And Jesus says, fear not, Peter. I am going to make you a fisher of men. Because here's the truth. God does love you. God does love me. 
but he doesn't just love you. He also loves everybody in your family. He loves everybody that's addicted to drugs. He loves every, every work associate you have. He loves every difficult person in your life. He loves them and he needs us to be unashamed and to figure out how to be fishers of men. Those who have experienced God's kindness to bring his kindness now to others. To those who've never tasted of the goodness of God. Here's how they taste through us. That we, we exemplify the goodness of God, the beauty of God, the love of God. We, we pray for them. We give them an encounter with the goodness of God. And they get a little bite and there's like a hook. It's like bait. It's like fishing. It's bait. It's like, I got to have more of that. Where'd that come from? Why are you even like that? Why are you loving me? You shouldn't love me. Because Jesus loves me. And he loves you too. And he wants to make us fishers of people. Charles Wesley wrote a song. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise. And you think, Pastor Tom, that's impossible. How could we possibly have a thousand tongues? I've only got one tongue. Here's how. You want to get a thousand tongues? I'll tell you how. Get a thousand people saved. <laughs> then we've got a thousand tongues. Do you believe God could save, just really good save, a thousand people in Madison? Do you believe he could use City Church to get a thousand fresh people saved? I absolutely believe it. Uh, this is his heart. This, this is what he wants, guys. And so on February 14th, when we have these baptisms, I'm asking everybody that's getting baptized that signs up, you might sign up today to get baptized. I've got four places up here to sign up. February 14th is the day you bring your friends. You bring your relatives. You bring your work associates. I'm not gonna preach that day. You're gonna, you're gonna tell the stories that day of the goodness of God that saved a sinner such as me. What I will do is give an invitation at the end for anybody that wants to join these that have been baptized. Come on up. Let's, could we stand together? Here's how we're going to end today. Sarah's going to come and, and, and uh, lead us in a song. But here's how we're going to end if you're here today and the gospel has become very clear to you and you want to repent, you want to receive Jesus Christ, I'm going to lead you in a prayer right now for that. And I'm going to ask everybody that's already done that, you've already repented and received Christ, I'm going to ask you to join them right out loud in this prayer. Okay? Here we go. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying for me on the cross. I ask you now to come into my heart. Make me who you want me to be. Forgive me for all of my give me's. And make me who you want me to be. I receive your gift of eternal life right now by faith. 
Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we're going to sing this song together. We're, we've still got a few minutes here. We've still got five minutes. As we sing this song, if you have never been baptized as a believer, infant baptism is fine. Infant baptism is like baby dedication. It's, it's your parents wanting you to be raised for God, okay? Okay? But what Peter's describing here is not infant baptism. It's believer. The whole point is your will is involved. It's something you decide to do. If you have not been baptized as a believer, as we sing this song, I'm going to ask you to step out from wherever you are and come down and sign up. You're going to be part of the February 14th baptism. I'm asking you to come out of the balcony or from wherever you are. We're going to sing a verse of this song. And if you need to get water baptized, join those that are already signed up. Um, Let's sing. And I encourage you, don't wait for somebody else. Step out and come on down. Okay, here's how we're going to close today. We're going to, these signups will continue to be open. You come as long as you need to. But here's how we're going to close. Am I on? I'm on. Good. Here's what I would do if I was the enemy. I would take those who are still struggling with different sins, and I would try to just condemn you with this message. Thank God the gospel restores us, gives us a new start when we're struggling with sin, when we're struggling to come out of that orphan spirit. And the, do not, the Bible says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so I just want to pray for you. I want to pray for anybody. You're, you're, you're still in that wrestling match. And even as I was talking about those that don't get mercy at their judgment seat, you were... You, you, you became maybe afraid or something tried to grab a hold of you. Would you just open your arms right now? You've been saved, you've been baptized, but you're still struggling. Father, in Jesus' name, I break all fear off your favored sons and daughters. But God, I also break this mindset that says, I'm just, just a sinner, just a sinner saved by grace, so it's no surprise to me that I just keep sinning. Lord, would you break the orphan mindset that is based in fear? Would you show us that we're favored sons and daughters and all of your grace, which is your power? There is no sin that you can't help us overcome. Lord, that you would pour out your grace and see that it is very your very plan for us to win, for us to be overcomers, through the grace of God, through the blood of Jesus, and through the love of God that's been poured out on our hearts. And Father, as we leave this place, I pray that our witness would not be forced as if we need to prove to people that we are unashamed of Jesus. I pray that our witness would be an overflow of of how much you love us and how kind you are to us. Lord, would you give Madison a taste of the goodness of God, of the kindness of God that leads to repentance through us. 
Lord, we're asking together in agreement, would you give us a thousand tongues to sing your, our great Redeemer's praise? In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Have a great day.